0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Each week, our panel takes you inside the biggest stories of the last seven days. This week, more Chicagoans roll up their sleeves. Governor Pritzker has announced $43 million from FEMA to help public health departments distribute the vaccine. We are at a Cook County site. It's been busy all day vaccinating people over 65 and essential workers, while CPS and the teachers' union continue to disagree about in-person learning. Please allow for me to telework at least
0: until the pregnancy is over. So, yeah, they said no.
1: I don't think we should be talking about lockouts. What we should be talking about is how do we get a deal done so that we
0: can move forward.
1: Joining us now to help make sense of it all is WTTW host and correspondent Brandis Friedman. Brandis, welcome back.
0: Thank you. It's good to be on with you, Sasha.
1: Also with us, WBEZ city politics reporter Becky Vivi. Hi, Becky. Hi, Sasha. The Chicago Teachers Union and the district remain deadlocked over plans to reopen schools for in-person learning. Brandis, where do negotiations stand?
0: It's hard to tell, right? They seem to be at a standstill. The district is not backing down, and they are saying we expect teachers um, to be in their buildings. The district says they are still expecting students to show up on Monday. I just don't know if that's going to happen unless they are able to work something out between today and this weekend. And the mayor also said last night that of the eight, you know, critical things that they need to agree on, they don't have an agreement, and they are still uh, waiting on some responses to some proposals, and some of the responses include items that the city believes should not be in the contract, should not be a part of the bargaining. So I'm not sure how they're going to pull this off between now and Monday, and I feel like I said the same thing yeah. back in 2019 <laughs> leading up to that strike.
1: Well, let's hear a little bit more of that back and forth. We also spoke to District CEO Janice Jackson yesterday. And like you said, Brenda, she says in-person classes will resume Monday. And she's adamant that the time is right. We have listened to public health officials and scientists throughout this process and followed the data, and there's overwhelming data and research that shows us that we can reopen schools safely. And now we have a proof point right here in Chicago with the pre-K and cluster programs that were operating for the past three weeks. And here's what CTU Vice President Stacy Davis-Gates told us earlier in the week.
0: Teachers should be given some humanity in this moment. Um, and right now, without a vaccine that's
1: going to be tough. Becky, it sounds like we're headed toward a strike.
2: Well, Sasha, I feel like that is a a big word and one that, you know, I think (laughs) kind of scares a lot of people having been through a couple of them in recent times. But I would say it's, it's kind of interesting to see how the terminology around the word strike is playing out because you do have the ability for people to work from home. And the union is saying, well, it's only going to be a Quote unquote strike, it'll actually be a lockout because they won't let us log in. And it's sort of this interesting back and forth. And, you know, just this week, there was actually a Cook County judge who ruled on a case involving the Cicero School District, which wanted to declare a a job action by teachers an illegal strike. And they did not rule in their favor. They've ruled in the favor of the teachers in Cicero. So, That has potentially changed Mm -hmm. some of the legal dynamics here in Chicago as well. I am also seeing some rumblings that there might be a sick out for kids. (laughs) Like parents would keep their kids off of learning and out of buildings as a form of protest themselves. But, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the weekend plays out and, you know, what Sunday night feels like.
0: Well, I, I mean, to Becky's point, I feel like a lot of parents are starting to make their voices a lot more heard, having been frustrated with this back and forth between the district and the union. But the fact that some parents are considering their own sick out on Monday, I think, just kind of speaks to, The frustration that so many parents are feeling, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if most of them have whiplash, considering how it's been going these last few weeks.
1: Well, Brandis, what can you add to what Becky was talking about when it comes to suburban school districts? We heard from one earlier in the program, uh, North Shore School District 112 in Highland Park, Illinois. What about some others?
0: I have heard that some teachers in Skokie, for example, are getting vaccinated and some of them, um, some of them have been open in either you know a full-time learning or a hybrid sort of pod model for some weeks now. At the same time, though, Janice Jackson has made the point, and I think everybody would agree, you really, like suburban districts are doing their own thing, but you can't compare them to Chicago Public Schools, being that it is massive and it has such a diverse um, amount of needs.
1: Becky, what's being done to prioritize teachers for vaccinations?
2: Well, that's a great question. And it's a tricky one to answer because the group that is now eligible for vaccinations includes, in, in all of Illinois, it's like 3.2 million more people. And so and in, in Chicago, you know, it's a, it's a million or so. I think the supply of vaccine right now in this city is, is not where it needs to be to get people in that group vaccinated. And right now, you know, a lot of a lot of the doses are going to hospitals. So, you know, a teacher, if they have an appointment, I know I've heard Dr. Allison Arwitty say, if a teacher has an appointment with their doctor, absolutely, their doctor, you know, is authorized and able to give them the vaccine. The question is, do they have a vaccine available to give them? The city's mass vaccination sites are all by appointment only and you need like a special private code to get one or to make an appointment. Apparently, one of those codes was sent out to some teachers, but it was a code meant for um, healthcare workers, home healthcare workers. Oh dear! And so there were some teachers that had made appointments, and um, the Department of Public Health flagged it because they got a flood of like two thousand appointments under this code, and it was it was too many, and so they knew something was wrong. So mm. they had to go in and cancel a bunch of them. That caused a little bit of a dust up. You know, the thing right now with with vaccines and vaccine prioritization is is it's just a classic case of supply and demand. The, the demand way outstrips supply right now. And so everybody in this group is frustrated. It's not just teachers. And, you know, the school district says they're going to try by mid-February to basically direct ship vaccines to actual schools where nurses could give them to the teachers. But yeah. that's still a few weeks away.
1: And so here we are, as we we talked about a few moments ago, we could be looking at the second teacher strike in less than two years. Brandis, what are the political implications here for Mayor Lightfoot? This is all Uh, on her
0: watch. You know, I think some people kind of look at both strikes and they go, is this a little bit of sour grapes from the mayoral race Um, when the union supported Cook County President Tony Preckwinkle? I think both the mayor, excuse me, and CTU would deny that that is the case. But it can't look good, right, that two teacher strikes happened on Mayor Lightfoot's watch you know, taking nothing away, though, you know, from the teachers union, standing up for what they believe they need to stand up for mm-hmm. um, and demanding what they feel they need to protect their teachers and to support their students and families. So, I mean, let's not pretend the mayor caused the strike. The, the teachers union feels they need to go on strike if that is if that is what happens. But it, it can't look good for her.
1: You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And our panel today includes Brandis Friedman of WTTW and WBEZ's Becky Vivi. I want to turn now to the latest on COVID-19 here in our region. Yesterday Illinois reported 4100 new cases, 103 additional deaths. Becky, 4100 cases is much lower than what we were seeing a couple months ago. Tell us the latest there. Are we headed in the right direction?
2: There I ask. Yeah, you know, we are, but we're not even back to like pre-Halloween numbers yet. Like I mean, if it you seems think about... it seems
1: weird to ask you that with 4100 <laughs> cases, but
2: I know. Um, When you think about where we were at, certainly last summer and even, you know, the early part of the school year last year, September and October, the numbers were, I mean, we were below 100 deaths a day. So yes, we are headed back in the right direction. Um, We're not quite there yet, though we have reached, you know, the regional benchmarks to do things like reopen some indoor dining, for instance. Um, And, you know, I follow the tracker every day and I look up the state and the city sites and the curve looks good it is going down the thing everybody is watching and i think hopeful for is how quickly we can get vaccines out and also can we get them out before these newer variants which can spread more easily they are here that if they become the predominant strains could it cause another you know increase in this curve but as of right now you know knock on wood we are headed in the right direction yeah Vaccines are on the way. Um, They're slow, but, you know, hopefully moving forward. They're coming.
1: There's also been a lot of confusion over where and how people can actually get this vaccine. We hear that all the time. Becky, what's the best way for people who are eligible to get more information?
2: First stop, I would go to your doctor if you have one. If you don't have a doctor, I would honestly check the pharmacy that's closest to you. So CVS, Walgreens, Mariano's, Julasco. Osco. And then I would also ask your employer because a lot of these are, you know, obviously frontline essential workers and the employers are playing a, a pretty key role. Um, CDPH is reaching out directly to certain employers or employers are reaching out to them. So if you want to know, am I going to get this through work, you might want to just reach out to your, you know, your supervisor or your boss and say, hey, have, you know, have we talked to anybody at the public health department? Are we on a list to to get vaccine or to get those codes to go to the mass vaccination sites, for instance? Um, That's what I that's advice I would give. And one more thing to add just on the last answer with supply and demand. um, I did just pull up and check. It does look like on Monday both Moderna and Pfizer will be increasing the the number of doses shipped to both Chicago and Illinois. So that's some good news. I know the Biden administration sort of talked about that a day or two ago, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like that is going to materialize. They just post the numbers um, of doses and, yeah, we'll see an increase from last week we got, you know, 17,000 and next week we'll get 22,400. That's just Pfizer yeah. um, and Moderna's right around that amount, too.
1: Well, Brandis, indoor dining is also back here in Chicago bars and restaurants, along with reports of a new, more contagious strain of the virus. Briefly, how does that factor into our local reopening plans?
0: Just in time, right? The new more contagious change. It's like, ah, thank you. Welcome. Indoor dining (laughs) uh, is happening. Everybody kind of knows about this new, more contagious variant, both of them. Um, And so we're hearing talk of maybe we should all be wearing two masks instead of just one. You know, at the same time, you know, I got emails left and right from, you know, restaurants across the city that are, you know, offering reservations now for indoor dining. But at the same time, uh, you earlier this week had Beverly Kim, I think it was on the show, just discussing how she's among the restaurants that just don't feel comfortable reopening right now and that they are able to to keep things going to, to make ends meet close enough anyway and keep a handful of staff working by just doing takeout orders. I'm not sure how that's going to work for everybody. I mean, even on the show on Chicago Tonight this week, we heard from a few folks, you know, a server or a manager, I believe, who uh, had contracted COVID over the summer. So she is hesitant about going back to indoor dining. At the same time, you know, serving in a, outdoors in a Chicago winter, that is not fun.
1: That's WTTW's Brandis Friedman. Also with us this week on The Roundup is WBEZ's Becky Vivi. Let's jump into the second half of the roundup and tackle stories like these. The Chicago City Councils voted to strengthen protections for undocumented immigrants living in the city.
2: The carjacking situation in Chicago has gotten so bad that tonight activists are suggesting people take a picture of their
1: license plate in case they become a victim. The Chicago Police Department is again moving to try and fire fraternal order of police president John Catanzaro. Well, that's a lot. So let's get
2: started. Becky, the City Council met this week for the first time this year. Would you walk us through some of the highlights? The city council took up the landmark designation of the home of Emmett Till. They also did some revisions to the city's welcoming city ordinance. And there was, as always, a lot of sort of development and zoning approvals and changes. And and one of the things that I think caught a lot of people's attention was they passed an anti-deconversion rule or ordinance for the areas around the six hundred six, which basically deconversion is when somebody you know maybe buys a two-flat and turns it into a single-family home, they downzone, if you will. And actually, I need to verify if it's a pilot or if it's an official like long-term
0: ordinance. So mm-hmm. um, I would defer to, to others yeah. reporting on that,
2: Brandis.
1: Add a little to the Emmett Till story for us.
0: Yeah, it's in Woodlawn, and it's kind of a fun, uh, I thought it was interesting to note that uh, during the city council meeting the other day, Alderman Jeanette Taylor, who represents the uh, community where the home sits, her virtual background was that um, sort of iconic image of Emmett Till and his mother, Mamie Till Mobley. But the organization Blacks in Green, which is... Among other things, in Woodlawn, there are a group of uh, black environmentalists. Uh, They have decided to purchase the home, planning on turning it into a museum to the great migration, including the history of Emmett Hill and his family.
1: Well, Brandis, local activists have been pushing for the mayor to close loopholes in Chicago's Welcoming City Ordinance for years now. Can you remind us what this ordinance uh, aims to do and and how this move can protect undocumented immigrants here in Chicago? Right.
0: Basically, it would further limit or restrict Chicago police from cooperating with federal authorities if they are investigating someone who does not have documented status. I think the way Alderman Ray Lopez put it was that, you know, obviously there are undocumented residents in Chicago, um, but he does not believe that the ones who are committing crimes Mm -hmm. um, should be let off the hook, is the argument that some people make. But the folks who support it say they're, you know, those crimes will still be investigated.
1: Now, I want to quickly touch on another story, the recent spike in citywide carjackings. I've been seeing a lot of this. Um, this It's wild. Chicago's seen more than 160 of them so far this year. Brandis, how are police responding?
0: They say they've got a four-point comprehensive plan that involves a lot of coordination um, across the police department, but also with suburbs. Um, I'm looking at a headline now from one of my colleagues that the mayor of Chicago is planning to meet with suburban mayors on the carjacking problem. Police department says they're also working with the state's attorney's office to build stronger cases. They say youth intervention is part of the plan as well. Um, And then public engagement and getting the message out You just reported a few minutes ago that people are being advised to take a picture of their license plate in case it should happen. Even some community members, though, are taking matters uh, into their own hands, not by, you know, apprehending or preventing, um, but by just sort of, you know, showing up in a community in Hyde Park. We had a gentleman on uh, the show this past week as well making sort of a presence at a gas station, for example, so that if someone is stopping, they recognize there are other people there with eyes on what's going down that might deter a potential carjacker.
2: Becky, where are these carjackings taking place? I mean, that's the thing that's interesting is they're taking place all over the city and in the suburbs. And I think it's it's particularly alarming, you know, I think... Um, I know that there are some Northside aldermen who are holding meetings with their constituents to talk about, you know, measures that they can take and ways to stay f- vigilant in their communities, because I think that is probably alarming to, to some folks who live in areas where the, you know, crime numbers are not as high. Just to add also about like police response, I did see reported that this is on the on the radar of the FBI, even, <laughs> you know, there are wow. there are. You know, federal agents. I think there was a, a teenager indicted by a federal grand jury. So I think that this is obviously something that has caused a lot of concern in law enforcement and obviously among constituents. And I know, like I said, I've seen Aldermen holding meetings, sending out newsletters about this issue and and how to stay safe and how to um, you know potentially protect yourself from becoming a victim of a carjacking.
1: Yeah. Something else. Switching gears here. Police union president John Catanzara is facing new charges that could lead to his firing. Catanzara is accused of filing a false police report against former CPD Superintendent Eddie Johnson back in 2018. Brandis, weigh in here.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he's... That's a lot. It's, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, and it seems like, you know, he is... He's not really afraid to speak his mind and say what he really thinks, despite what, you know, consequences may come. Um, and he's, there's the false police report um, that's, you know, being investigated. He was elected and was the only union president to have been elected while also being stripped of his police powers. Alderman and I think some other officials have been calling on his resignation or his replacement as the president of the FOP based on the remarks that he made somewhat sympathizing with the rioters on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. He has since apologized. I'm not really sure he's spoken much since that apology and all this other stuff has kind of started to bubble up and whether or not he's, you know, defending himself and saying, absolutely not. I'm not stepping down. The people elected me. Um, I'd be really curious uh, to hear what the rank Mm -hmm. and file who did elect him have to say. You know, are they defending him or would they like to see someone else?
2: Becky, your thoughts on this? He's always been a very vocal member of the FOP. I think that that is perhaps like the appeal of why he was elected but he's been yeah under pending discipline for a while and these new sort of charges just came from the police board what was it on Wednesday so yeah it, we'll see how it plays out even if he's removed or, or loses his you know is stripped of his police powers he can still be the union president and so yeah as Brendan said we'll have to see what those members decide
1: well before I let you go quickly tell us what you'll be watching in the coming days you go first Becky
2: I'm kind of all vaccines all the time, vaccine rollout, vaccine supply, um, and just monitoring how that continues to play out here in the city of Chicago and the rest of the state. How about you, Brandis? What's going to be on Chicago tonight?
0: Yeah, I am stalking my phone um, and just kind of keeping in touch. With aren't sources. we always? It's, aren't we all? Yeah, I guess that's what that's. Yeah, I'm going to change that. That's my new name. Brandi's stalked on the phone, Friedman. Yes. I'm um, waiting to see uh, what's going to happen on Monday, really. K through um, eight students, those who opted for a uh, return to in-person learning are supposed to be back in on Monday. I'm really dying to know whether or not the teachers union um, and the district are going to come to a deal or if CPS will back down and say, let's push it back. Or if something like a strike is going to happen, I, I can't imagine. In the optics of teachers actually picketing in front of empty buildings, so I'm really curious. To see what Stranger happens. things have happened, Brandis. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Are it. we living it? <laughs> we are living it. It's it's wild every single day. I just I'm, I'm no longer surprised by anything that happens. That's it for the Friday news roundup. Thanks to our panel today: WTTW anchor and correspondent Brandis Friedman and WBEZ city politics reporter Becky Vee. Brandis and Becky have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Sasha. And that's WBEZ's weekly news roundup. Watch this feed for our weekly COVID-19 Q&A with Dr. Mia Terramina that's coming your way on Sunday. And of course, we've got all the great conversations from Reset Monday through Thursday. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again soon.